few weeks ago, we introduced our goals for the year. And uh, that is the idea of transformation, individual transformation. And I mentioned it several times. Um, I'll just say it at least one more time that we have commitment cards in the back that can help you with that individual transformation. And we encourage you to get one of those and uh, think about ways that you want to grow closer to God this year and fill those cards out. Keep them somewhere handy, bathroom mirror, in your Bible, someplace that you might see it every day to remind you of ways that you want to transform. We know that real growth comes from individual growth. And we can't grow together unless we grow uh, taking responsibility for our own lives. So we want to encourage you to do that. And we'll be reminding you of that kind of thing in different ways throughout the whole year. And that's what we're doing here in these sermons at the beginning of the year as we look at Romans 12. So again, our text is Romans 12, 1 and 2. Last week, we talked about living sacrifices. And that's what God asks us to do in our daily lives is to present ourselves as living sacrifices. But we said that the problem with living sacrifices is they keep crawling off the altar. So how do, you, how do we keep ourselves on that altar? That's what we want to start talking about today as we look at Romans 12, verse 2. There are two ways to stay on the altar as a living sacrifice. First of all, Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. And then secondly, he says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We'll talk about transformation by the renewal of your mind next week, Lord willing, this morning, I want to talk about not being conformed to this world. And it's an important idea, and I can put it this way. As you evaluate yourself and whether you are conformed to this world or not, are you a thermometer or are you a thermostat? There's probably been a lot of fights over the thermostat uh, this weekend. It's been pretty cold. And uh, I know we're having trouble with some thermostats in the building this morning, so... This, your mind's on it already, so think about it, that analogy. Are you a thermometer or are you a thermostat? A thermometer reads the climate and adjusts accordingly. It changes according to the, the air around it. But a thermostat sets the temperature and brings the surroundings to meet it. So which one are you? Do you change with the environment or are you an agent of change for your environment are you a thermostat or a thermometer well, god doesn't want us to be thermometers when he says do not be conformed to this world he says don't let your culture shape you instead be a thermostat be a light to the world be an agent of change for your surroundings we're going to look at three aspects of this command this morning. First of all, its meaning. Secondly, the need for it. And then finally, we're going to look at its scope. So let's start with the meaning of the command. Do not be conformed. Uh, it's a warning against being molded, taking the shape of the world, forming yourself to the culture that you live in. J.B. Phillips' translation says, Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Uh, 
Be careful with that. The root of the original word is schema, which has to do with the external part of you, the way you look, that which can be sensed by others, the tangible parts of your being. And so the warning is against brothers and sisters in Christ who might be tempted to hypocrisy, to be one way on the outside while believing something different on the inside. Don't be a chameleon that changes your shape, your color, to camouflage and fit in with the world around you just because you're afraid of sticking out. Don't be conformed to this world. Another note about the original language, Paul uses a negative particle and combines it with a present imperative verb. So it's got the effect of saying, stop doing this. And it makes you think that the Romans were already engaged in this conformity. And you can imagine living in Rome, how hard it would be to be a Christian in that city. Be very similar to trying to live a Christian life in a 21st century America today. He had to tell them, stop doing this. Don't be hypocritical. Don't allow the culture around you to shape your behavior, your appearance, your thoughts, your decisions that you make. Be children of God in a dark world. Be light. That's the idea that he has here. And he says, don't be conformed to this world. Now, what does he mean by the world? There's all kinds of meanings you can attach to that word. You can talk about the earth. You can talk about the human population. But here he's using the term world translated from a term that means the age. Or we would use the term culture. He was talking to them originally in Rome. We don't live in Rome. We live in a different culture from that. So I think it would be good for us to think just for a few minutes about our world, about our culture. And I ask ourselves, what is it pulling us toward? What is Paul saying not to be conformed to in 2024 America? And here's just some points of the current climate we live in today. Number one, one of the characteristics is diversity and inclusion. And of course, diversity and inclusion is, is a good thing when you're talking about racial differences, gender differences, economic differences. We don't want to be prejudiced towards people um, because of things they can't help or things that make them special. We would never want to judge somebody based on that. We know that every individual should be judged based on their internal character. And so diversity is good when it, you're talking about those matters. But the world is telling us that we need not just diversity in race and economic privileges and things like that, but also in terms of morality. We need to be tolerant of all things. Even when it comes to our value system and things the Bible says are not okay. We're not allowed to say that anymore. Our culture wants us to fit into a mold of sexual immorality and of other things that challenge the cause of Christ. That's part of what we face in in this culture. Number two, a pervasive use of technology. Technology has been a blessing in many ways. 
you know, the information at our fingertips, the navigational tools that it gives us. It's changed the way that we network with friends. It's changed the way that we shop. And whether we like it or not, we're being forced to adapt to technology. You know, maybe some of you have gone to the doctor's office and they hand you a computer. They say, fill out your paperwork. And I know some people get irritated with that kind of thing. They're, they'd rather just have a clipboard and a pen and paper. Sometimes I think, what did you do with that last one I filled out? You know, because you're filling them out all the time. But uh, you're forced to adapt to things. You have to change with the times to a degree with technology. But then there's a harmful development that comes with it as well. One thing is we're all so distracted. And our technology has become something with no boundaries, which means it's starting to control us and get between us and God and get between us and other people and relationships that we should have. Another characteristic of today is individualism. Individualism emphasizes personal freedom, self-expression, the pursuit of individual goals, and that's reflected in the emphasis on personal achievements and unique identities. People wanting to do things their own way and focusing on what I've done and what's good for me. And we're seeing lower numbers in church attendance. We're seeing less community involvement. People are living for themselves, and that's a part of the world that we're in. It's very common. Polarization is another characteristic. I don't know if you noticed, this is an election year. Politics have become pretty extreme. And there's never been as much distance between the two sides as we see today, at least in terms of temperament. People are at war with one another in this world. And we're letting it happen in religion. It's getting harder and harder to have a dialogue with people we disagree with. Hatred and enmity are beginning to consume us. It's part of the world we live in. Then there's pop culture. Entertainment has become cheaper. It's more accessible now. You can amuse yourself 24 hours a day without spending a whole lot of money. And what we're doing is we're giving a voice to the people who play a big role in our entertainment because they're attractive or talented or athletic, they weigh in for us on matters of morality and values. We're giving them a voice that maybe they haven't earned. Pop culture. Another characteristic is changing family structures. God designed families to consist of a husband and wife, and if they're so blessed, children. You can look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 28, and see the foundational principle behind marriage, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. But we're being asked to challenge that and allow multiple marriages and same-sex marriages, and we're not only asked to tolerate it, but we're asked to endorse it, embrace it. And then there's social media. The rise of social media platforms has transformed how people communicate, how they share information, how they engage with one another. Uh, this church on 411 caught fire yesterday afternoon. 
And uh, we all knew about it within seconds and had pictures and videos of it. We were communicating with one another all over this community about the old church that was burning down in real time. That kind of thing didn't happen 20 years ago. It has changed us drastically in the way we relate to one another. It plays a significant role in shaping public opinion and activism. But the problem is on social media, there's no vetting of information. Everybody has an equal say. And, uh, you know, people can talk about fact-checking, but it's just not where it should be when it comes to what's out there. And so we're inundated with conflicting messages all the time, trying to sort those out. Social media comes between friends. It creates a lot of mental instability and mental health problems. It can be a dangerous tool. These are just some of the things that I was thinking about as I tried to picture this world that we live in. It's a different world from first century Rome, but it's our world, and it's pulling us into its mold. It's trying to get us to fit its shape. And Paul is warning us, do not be conformed to your world. Notice the passive voice. Don't be conformed. He's trying to get us to pay attention to cultural drift. If we don't wake up, we'll be taken in without even knowing it. The message paraphrase reads, Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. And we'll talk about the opposite of this next week, which really needs to finish this thought. The opposite of being conformed to the world is being transformed by the renewal of your minds. But in the Bible, we're told to be countercultural, to break from society. In a word, to be different. Here's some other passages on that point. Galatians 6.14 Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world, Paul says, has been crucified to me and I to the world. James chapter 4, verse 4, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. John says this in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world... The desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing along with its desires. But whoever desires to do the will of God abides forever. And so first of all, the meaning of this is don't just seek to fit into the culture around you. Do not be conformed. Number two, let's think about its need. Why does Paul have to say this? What's going on here? And what we're looking at is this innate human desire to fit in. All of us have it. I looked up a few headlines just to see you know, what you might run into when you, you go online and just scroll through. And here's some sample of, samples of headlines that I found. How much time should your kids spend online? Maybe you'd like to read that article. Uh, Ten cool things 
you could be watching on Netflix. Clothes you shouldn't wear after 50. Wouldn't apply to this group over here, but some of us might need to read that. Now, you think about headlines and the articles you read. Why do you read them? Do you read them to get information? Or do you read them to see what other people are thinking so that you can be like everybody else? That's an important question. And it might tell you where you're standing this morning when it comes to conformity with the world. You see, all of us have this temptation, this desire not to stick out, to camouflage, to fit in, not to be different. And even when we do something different, have you ever noticed that even people who do things that are regarded different are just copying somebody else? I've been to a lot of basketball games over the last few months. I started noticing a trend. These kids would show up with tights on, but they had cut one of the legs out of their tights. And I thought that was to keep you warm, you know? So I was thinking, is the left leg warmer than the right leg? What's happening here? And then Jackson and I were watching NBA, and it was LeBron James had one of the legs cut out of his tights. And other players were wearing their tights that way. And I thought, oh, they're not doing anything different. They're just trying to be like the NBA players. So even when we do things different, we're really just trying to mimic, to fit in, to be like other people. Now, why do we do that? I think we can understand that by working backwards. Okay, so let's start with this idea. We shy away from the unfamiliar. We are wary of strangers. I think that's a natural tendency for most of us. Some people not, but most of us are a little intimidated by the unfamiliar. Now, maybe you've been taught to be friendly to strangers, or maybe you've developed good habits, and so you overcome your fears and you welcome visitors. But there is this innate, I don't know if it's biological, if it's wired into our DNA, if it's a defense mechanism, I don't know what it is. I don't really care where it comes from. It's just true that as human beings, we tend to shy away from those things that are unfamiliar. Okay, knowing that, let's take it one step further. If you know that about human nature, and you know that about yourself, do you want to be the unfamiliar one? Do you want to be the stranger when you shy away from strangers? Do you want to be alone? Do you want to stand out? Do you want to be marginalized? No. So we have this innate sense of innate need to, to fit in because we feel that which is strange and different and unfamiliar is, is something that is dangerous, something that should be shied away from. We don't want other people to think of us that way. And so we have this powerful fleshly temptation. And that's why we need this command not to be conformed to the world. If the command was to conform to the world, Paul would not have needed to write Romans chapter 12, verse 2. But we have this temptation. It's who we are. Basically, Paul is trying to turn us upside down. 
Legend has it that St. Francis, seeking a more profound communion with God, lived in a cave for a while, for solitude. And while he was in that place of seclusion, it is said that he spent time in meditation and prayer. And when he emerged from it, G.K. Chesterton wrote this in his biography of St. Francis. He said that he came out of that cave looking at the world as if he had come out of a dark hole walking on his hands. And then he went on to say this, If a man saw the world upside down, Chesterton writes, with all the trees and towers hanging head downward as in a pool, one effect would be to emphasize the idea of dependence. For the very word dependence only means hanging. So maybe you can think of it this way. When you're standing upright, you get this feeling that you're standing all your achievements and all your surroundings are dependent on you. But when you're upside down, you and everything else seems to be hanging. In other words, depending on God. And Paul is just trying to turn us upside down, saying, do not be conformed to the world as if you're achieving something, as if you're making your way through. I want to turn you upside down and make you completely dependent on God and God alone so that you can be transformed. We need this command because without it, we're naturally just going to try to fit in. So let's go on from there to talk about the scope. I think this is a problem that needs to be addressed. How far do we take this instruction? Does Paul mean for us to be outcasts? Is this a command to withdraw from society and have nothing to do with the world whatsoever? Are we supposed to be weird and marginalized? Is that the life that God wants for us? And I don't think that's exactly the right thing. That's an extreme view. There's a tension that Paul is, is asking for here when you look at other passages of Scripture. And uh, it's described well in a book by Andrew Walls called The Missionary Movement in Christian History. And he describes this tension in terms of what he calls an indigenous principle and a pilgrim principle. So let me put it up on the board here for you. The indigenous principle says the church can and must find a home and culture. So the indigenous principle says as a church we need to settle in to our culture, make friends in the world, cooperate where we can. But the pilgrim principle, which is also a biblical principle, says that the church must criticize and correct its culture. And both of these are held alongside one another in the New Testament. Let me explain it. We can look at it with these examples. So example number one. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays this beautiful prayer for his disciples. And in that prayer, he says that he wants us to be in the world but not of the world. Look at it, John 17, 15, and 16. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. 
You see, in the world, but not of the world. Another example. Some passages say we're to be separate from the world, yet we're to participate in the world. For example, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and following says we're to separate. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? We are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them. Separation. But then in the first Corinthian letter, you see Paul also encouraging participation. First Corinthians chapter 5, he's giving instructions on church discipline, telling the church to withdraw from a man who is unrepentant about a sexually immoral relationship that he's in. And as he's telling them to withdraw from this man and not have anything to do with him, he stops and gives this disclaimer in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 and following. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. How could we share the good news of Jesus Christ with people who need it if we're withdrawing from society, if we're not participating in any way, if we're not cooperating in any way with others who don't share our faith? We never have an opportunity to make disciples, which is our great commission, right? So somehow we need to keep this tension in balance between separation and participation. One last example. We are to engage in confrontation and adaptation. Confrontation and adaptation. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 20 through 22, Paul, who says, don't be conformed to this world, says this, to the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. Now, how do you hold that? intention with do not be conformed to this world or go to the next chapter 1st Corinthians chapter 10 32 and 33 give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God just as I try to please everyone and everything I do not seeking my own advantage but that of many that they may be saved now, lest he sound contradictory, 
let me remind you of the guiding principle in all these verses. That they may be saved. There is an assumption that the world is lost in that statement, right? And so, if I can participate in a way that would not lose my own soul and would win another person, that's what I need to do. But when I need to confront the world because it's seeking my conformity, I have to stand up for that. It's not a withdrawal, but it's not an endorsement or an embracing. It's being in the world without being of the world. Perhaps the best imagery came from Jesus who said, You are the light of the world. A light shines in the darkness without becoming a part of the darkness. And that's what we're asked to do. That's the scope. We're not talking about becoming hermits, living in caves, building our own compounds and withdrawing from society. This isn't a cult. We're a part of this world, and we want to be a part of the world, but we want to do that for the salvation of the lost. So we're not conformed, because what good does that do the world? We're lights in the world. Are you a thermostat or are you a thermometer? Are you changing according to the culture around you or are you an agent for change so that the culture is being shaped gradually by you? We've been put here to be different, to challenge the culture, to be light in the world. And it's a struggle because we all want to fit in. And maybe you have been lost in that struggle. You've given up, you've conformed, and you're ready to stand out for Jesus Christ. You need some help. We can pray with you this morning. Maybe you need to take that first step in becoming a Christian. Whatever the need is, we're here to help you. We want to pray with you. We want to stand by you in your walk with Christ. Let us do that by coming forward this morning as we stand together and as we sing.